What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Hello, friends, and welcome. Welcome to the Bill Press Pod. Today, we're all singing along with Ray Charles, that great Hoagie Carmichael song, Georgia on my mind. Yeah, because Georgia has never been so much on our minds as it is today, with Joe Biden becoming the first Democrat to win the state in a presidential election in 28 years, and a statewide recount of the results of the presidential race underway. That's one reason. But the other big reason, of course, is a runoff in two, no, not one, but two U.S. Senate races coming up on January 5. Two races whose outcome will determine whether Democrats or Republicans assume control of the Senate under President Joe Biden. So we turn to Georgia today to find out what's going on. And we do so with an outstanding leader from Georgia, Congressman Hank Johnson, who's represented the 4th Congressional District of Georgia since 2007. Congressman, it's good to join you, and thank you so much for taking time here with us today on the Bill Press Pod. Well, thank you for having me, Bill. And so uh, all eyes on Georgia, for sure, now for, for a couple of reasons. So let's start with Joe Biden becoming the first Democrat to carry Georgia in a presidential election in 28 years, not since Bill Clinton as a Democrat won Georgia. Um, how did it happen? <laughs> What's the Georgia miracle, Congressman? Well, you know, Georgia, as the South is, uh, it is um, going through changes. It is evolving. And, um, you know, it's a youthful area, uh, Georgia. Um, many people moving in, new attitudes, a potpourri of uh, people. And, um, and as these young people uh, become eligible to vote, they are voting. And so we saw a lot of young people voting in Georgia. As you know, uh, Stacey Abrams mm -hmm. registered uh, 800,000 voters most of them were youthful voters, first-time voters. And uh, she did that between 2018 and 2020, uh, a Herculean effort. And those voters showed up to the polls, and they voted for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, and that's how it got done. So it was a real grassroots operation um, led by, I'm sure, many people, but largely by Stacey Abrams. Yeah, I would have to attribute the lion's share of the work to produce this uh, conversion from red to blue in the presidential election. I would have to attribute it uh, largely to Stacey Abrams and her network of activists. And, you know, Congressman, there was all the with Stacey Abrams and her gubernatorial, all the talk, the reality of voter suppression uh, in Georgia. So I guess it's even more remarkable given the forces who were 
uh, trying to suppress the vote. Well, our current governor, Brian Kemp, was the secretary of state who oversaw the 2018 election while he ran for governor. And in his run-up for that race, he did a lot to, uh, as he would say, uh, cull the voting rolls of, yeah. uh, of uh, voters who uh, he, for whatever reason, he just felt like they should not be voting. And so people who had, who had not voted in recent elections, he uh, purged those names from the voter rolls. Uh, he disallowed uh, registrations of voters. Some tens of thousands of registration forms of voters that had filled out registration forms got lost. And so it was a host of um, te techniques that Brian Kemp used to tamp down the uh, uh, activity of uh, people registering and wanting to exercise their right to vote. For instance, he, he probably purged about uh, 100 and he, he purged uh, 1.5 million names from the voter rolls. As Stacey Abrams was registering 400,000 uh, uh, 400, voters, he is culling uh, those names from the voter roll. So as quickly as voters could be registered, they were being kicked off. And, uh, you know, so just a, a whole host of things that Brian Kemp did, and it produced a victory for him to the tune of about 54,000 uh, votes. He won that election. And so since he has been out of the Secretary of State's office, you've had a newcomer, Brad Raffensperger. He has not been aggressive in terms of removing, removing voters from the voter rolls. And Stacey Abrams ramped up her uh, registration efforts and as a result, we ha we saw the turnout that we saw. Right. So um, in the eyes, at least of some people, the election while called in Georgia, while called for Joe Biden, is not over yet. The recount uh, is underway or, or the audit, whatever you want to call it. What what are you concerned about that, Congressman? Do you think this could uh, change the outcome of, of uh, the presidential election in Georgia? Well, there have been a number of counties that have reported back their results after doing the hand recount of the uh, paper that comes out of the electronic voting machines. And in those uh, counties that completed their uh, recount, uh, there appears to be no appreciable difference between the tallies that were announced um, uh, after the election and the recounted ballots. And so with that having taken place, I don't think the prospects for large changes in the numbers of votes uh, can be expected. Uh, so with a 14,000 vote lead at this time that uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have, I'm not expecting the recount to result in a overturning of that margin. And so I do believe that uh, the Biden-Harris ticket will be declared the winner after the recount, and those votes will be certified as is called for under state law uh, this Friday, November 20th. November 20, got it. And 
Do you do you believe that this uh, augurs well for Georgia in the future? Um, maybe not just for Georgia, but across the South. Yeah, I believe that Georgia is leading the South into the new South, and it's a, a South where, as opposed to being uh, uh, a place where people were denied their right to vote. It's a place where people who had been disenfranchised are actually turning out in record numbers and uh, being the difference uh, between who wins and who loses these elections. So black people, uh, brown people, Asians uh, getting out to vote, largely young people voting for Joe Biden and, and also uh, uh, progressive thinking white people, uh, you know, so, uh, you know, with that kind of um, collaboration, uh, you can, you got the result that you got on November 3rd, and we're looking to duplicate that on January 5th. Well, that's what I was going to get to next, uh, whether the enthusiasm we saw uh, for November 3rd will translate into enthusiasm, keep that level of enthusiasm up for January 5. You believe so? I believe that the enthusiasm remains. I don't think there will be a uh, period where we go to sleep. <laughs> uh, you know, the people know that uh, there is, uh, there, there are 48 Democrats, Democrats who've been elected uh, to serve in the Senate, and we still have two that remain. And they understand that we have a 100-person Senate. And with those numbers, those two seats that have to be filled coming out of Georgia will give, a, uh, give equality to the number of people from both parties who are in the Senate. And that leaves uh, the new vice president, Kamala Harris, there to break the tie. The people understand that. That's a simple concept, simple equation. Uh, and it's being driven home uh, every day by activists on the street and what people hear on the TV and uh, radio. It's being talked about. Uh, it's all over uh, social media. And however people get their news, they're getting that message that the balance of power in the Senate is at stake. And Georgia has the ability, we have it in our hands, to determine which way our nation goes. And so I believe that uh, these young people who have had pent up frustration since 2016, they were able to exercise it in 2018, but it was snuffed out. But they came back in 2020 in even larger numbers and prevailed. And so now they've tasted victory. I think that uh, they will come back out and close the deal on uh, January 5th. You know, uh, Congressman, John Ossoff, who ran before, we got to know him a little bit, but most Americans don't know him well. Uh, and with Reverend Warnock, he's really a new face on the national scene. Tell us a little bit about, you know, these both of these men well, uh, their strengths as a candidate and their appeal uh, to voters. Um, let's start with John Ossoff and, and tell us about both of them. John Ossoff is a smart and accomplished young man. Um, he worked he has, for you one time, didn't he? He did. Yeah. He certainly did. In fact, my wife has a picture of John Ossoff 
with a sign. He was about four years old, and he was under the arm of uh, uh, Mayor Maynard Jackson of Atlanta. So John also, that was his first race that his uh, mother and father put him in, was helping out Maynard Jackson uh, get elected to mayor, and he was four years old. And so <laughs> at that time, John has been involved in numerous uh, campaigns. In fact, he was involved in mine uh, my, when I first ran for uh, election, and he was a key individual at the age of 18 in my campaign, hmm. pretty much put together our social media thrust at that time. This was 2006. And uh, so he was ahead of his time then, and he has remained ahead of his time since then, just doing a lot of things, a lot of accomplishments as a young man. Um, and um, now he's married, uh, homeowner, businessman. Uh, he's had a well-defined um, uh, uh, matriculation in life since getting out of school. And uh, he's ready for this job. Uh, a young white guy. And here's, here's a young black man, Raphael Warnock, who... Uh, came up through the projects of uh, Savannah, Georgia, uh, the, the first of his 12, first of his 11 siblings, the only one of his 11 siblings to obtain a degree from a four-year institution. Hmm. Um, you know, he has come up from uh, on the hard side of the mountain, uh, became a uh, minister, became a pastor. Now he has... Uh, been at Ebenezer Baptist Church for the last 15 years uh, as the senior pastor of the church that was uh, uh, pastored by the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. as well as Martin Luther King Sr. Mm. So he comes from a, he's coming out of a tradition of civil activism and human rights activism and he has worn that mantle during his 15 years as, as a pastor. And now he is bringing that experience uh, to bear as a candidate for the U.S. Senate. And it just so happens we have in the New South a young black man and a young white man both running for these two seats. It's very symbolic. They are very close, um, working partners together. They realize that the stakes are high. And uh, they are showing what people can do when we are unified and moving forward towards uh, uh, the goal of human rights and prosperity for all of Georgia's people, which needs to translate into the people of this world. These are world thinkers and world doers. And uh, we have the opportunity to elect them uh, at the same time to come into Congress and move this nation forward. And I'm so proud of both of them. Do you feel good about the chances of winning both Senate seats? Yeah, I, I do. Everyone recognizes that this is a package deal. Uh, if one wins, the other wins. If they both win, then America wins. And, uh, and that's the goal, for both of them to win. Um, we need both of them to win for this nation to be able to move forward. Otherwise, we'll have Mitch McConnell presiding over another two years of gridlock 
where nothing gets out of the, the cemetery of the Grim Reaper. Uh, and he will do that uh, because that's the game that he played with Barack Obama uh, the, the, the night that Barack Obama was inaugurated to be our president. And we were mired in uh, the depths of the Great Recession. Uh, we have Mitch McConnell and Newt Gingrich and others plotting to make Barack Obama a first-term president, even though the nation was threatened with going into depression. The only thing they were thinking about was regaining uh, power. And uh, so they obstructed everything that uh, President Obama put forward. But fortunately, uh, Barack Obama had a uh, United States House of Representatives and he had a United States uh, Senate that uh, was under democratic control, and we were able to move this nation forward. Uh, but that window was there for only two years. Mm -hmm. And so after that first two years, everything Barack Obama tried to do, uh, it was obstructed by Mitch McConnell. So that is what he does. And he will continue to do that uh, as a leader of the Senate, if given that opportunity, to the peril of the nation. And I don't understand uh, why he would do it, but that's what he has done. And I don't have a lot of hope that he will do anything different uh, if he is uh, wielding the gavel in the Senate. Yeah, I want to come back to that in just a minute. But before we leave the Senate, so uh, David Perdue, Senator Perdue, has said that he will not take part in any debate with John Ossoff between now and uh, January 5. What's that tell us about Purdue? Well, it tells us that, like the products that the Purdue uh, meatpacking company, uh, there's a Purdue Meats uh, company. I don't think it's associated with David Purdue, but they deal in chickens. And so Purdue is living up to uh, to that product, he's living up to the chicken that Purdue Farms produces, and uh, yeah, I think it's it's uh, telling. He has gone through six years as a uh, senator without holding a single town hall meeting for his constituents in Georgia, and so he doesn't like to be seen and heard. He likes to run under the radar, as if people don't know that he's there. And then he can do all of his stock trading and other personal dealing uh, undetected by anyone. And so when the covers are taken off and he's forced to show his face and come out, what he likes to do is put on that uh, blue jeans jacket and come out and parade around as a country boy. But every, everybody knows that he's a silk stocking corporate raider uh, who closes up businesses and shuts down jobs and reaps the benefits of millions of dollars of hedge fund activity. And, um, you know, that's the kind of guy he is. And so he doesn't want the people to see him and hear him because he really doesn't have anything useful to say to the working people of Georgia. And that's why he doesn't want to debate. Yeah, got it. So I want to come back to the Senate uh, and certainly, uh, even uh, as we speak, President-elect Biden has put forth his plan for rebuilding the economy, for tackling the coronavirus, 
for getting our leadership in the world back on, on climate change, for dealing with the continuing reality of systemic racism in this country. He's got some big plans. He's going to try to get things done. Do you think he will get any cooperation at all from Congress to achieve, to get things done? For the American people. Well, the House of Representatives will definitely be working with the Biden administration to help that administration make things better for the people of this country. Building America back better is what he has pledged to do, and we will work with him in the House of Representatives. If we have a Senate that is under new leadership, uh, then uh, I believe we'll see the nation be able to move forward. If Mitch McConnell remains the majority leader of the Senate, then uh, we uh, can look for another two years of gridlock. Mm -hmm. And the whole thing will be to make Democrats in the House and the president look bad so that they can uh, have a hope of regaining uh, a majority in the House of Representatives. And then if they can, if they can do that, then they'll be looking at another two years of gridlock so that we can blame it on Barack or so that we can blame it on Joe Biden and Kamala Harris so that we can elect a Republican president, perhaps even Donald Trump himself get reelected in 2024. That is their game plan, nothing other than power for themselves at the expense of the people of this nation and the uh, prosperity of the nation itself. So if, were you to sit down with the president-elect today, Joe Biden, has certainly a lot on his plate. What do you think should be his top priorities going in? Well, we've got to get control of the raging coronavirus. COVID-19 is, is rampaging throughout the nation. It's shutting down the economy as it uh, closes out life itself. So we've got to get a handle on, uh, on COVID-19. Uh, reduce the spread, uh, bring back uh, our economy, uh, create millions of new jobs, both in, in uh, healthcare as well as in uh, producing new energy, uh, green renewable energy, so that we can take care of uh, climate change in this, in this world, do our part. That's what we have to do as America. Um, and rebuild this country, its infrastructure, uh, everything from ports to airports to roads and bridges to the railroad uh, capacity and network in this country, uh, to broadband to every nook and cranny of, of the country. Um, and, uh, you know, there is a lot of money that needs to be spent by the federal government to uh, trigger that kind of um, renewal of our infrastructure in this country. And in the process of doing that, we're going to create millions of high-paying middle-class jobs and put Americans back to work, restore the middle class, and um, create a, a vibrant uh, uh, space for America in the global economy. And Congressman, looking at the House, um, certainly there were prospects ahead of time that Democrats might actually pick up 10 to 15 seats. It turned out to be just the opposite. And um, 
the Democrats coming into the new Congress with maybe a margin of five or six seats over the Republicans, one of the most narrow margins uh, in in decades. Is that going to cramp the ability to get things done? And do you think it'll mean any change in the leadership or or should it or any change in the message uh, from members of Congress running for office? Well, there, there was a lot of um, irrational exuberance that flowed from the 2018 elections when 31, I believe, seats that uh, went for Trump in 2016 uh, went into the Democratic column in 2018 with the election of, uh, of uh, members of the House of Representatives. And so the press and others talked a lot about what they thought would happen in 2020, uh, but it did not pan out. And uh, that was due to, uh, that was due, of course, to uh, polling that the press relied upon, which turned out to be uh, inaccurate. And so as a result, uh, these, there were some Republican districts that were won by Democrats in 2018, but when Trump was on the uh, agenda again, when he was on the when he was on the ballot in 2020, those voters who those Republicans who didn't come out in 2018 came out in 2020, and those Democrats who were elected in 2018 unfortunately lost their seats. But those were Republican seats, mm -hmm. highly contested. We'll continue to contest those seats because demographics and and changes are happening in those districts, and those districts can one day be won uh, again by Democrats. So we'll continue to contest that. But meanwhile, our margin is not as great in 20 for the 117th Congress as it was for the 116th. Uh, we'll have to find a way of, uh, of uh, making progress in our caucus, and I believe we will do so under the leadership of Nancy Pelosi, who who is a brilliant uh, leader. Uh, we all know she's not going to be there forever, uh, but for now she's there. I don't expect there'll be any problems with her uh, getting reelected to Speaker of the House to lead us in the 117th. And we're talking with Congressman Hank Johnson from Georgia's 4th Congressional District here on the Bill Press Spot. Going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back with the Congressman. And today's podcast with Congressman Hank Johnson brought to you by the American Federation of Teachers, 1.7 million strong teachers of America under the leadership of Randy Weingarten, K through 12 and higher education as well, all, of course, on the front lines in these days of coronavirus, teaching online, teaching on Zoom, teaching some of them in the classroom, off and on, doing whatever they can to provide the best education to our kids and to protect our kids and their parents and themselves in this age of coronavirus. We salute the members of the AFT and thank them for their sponsorship of the Bill Press Pod. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. 
Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And we're back with Congressman Hank Johnson from Georgia. Congressman, you've been very generous with your time. We'll let you go. I just have to ask you, as a member of Congress um, uh, and a leading American politician, what is your take on now almost two weeks later, Donald Trump still refusing to accept the results of November 3rd and recognize President-elect Joe Biden? Well, Donald Trump knows that he has lost, but he's trying to gain an edge for his use in his career post-presidency. And uh, so he's looking to rile up public opinion against our free and fair election that we had in 2020. And he's trying to delegitimize Donald Trump, I mean, uh, Joe Biden as a legitimately elected president so that he can use that during the next uh, uh, phase of his life, whatever he will be doing, don't think that he's gonna go away. So I think it's uh, self-serving that he's doing this. And it's also reckless for the uh, future of our country. It's reckless behavior insofar as our national security is concerned. It's reckless behavior insofar as the transfer of knowledge uh, from his task force to the newly created uh, transition team task force so that there can be a seamless turnover of information uh, and strategizing. Uh, as we try to confront this uh, COVID-19 virus, which is claiming uh, over a thousand lives a day now, with uh, almost 200,000 a day getting inf uh, infected, um, it's really reckless behavior and it's a selfish behavior. And that those are the qualities that uh, characterize Donald Trump and his conduct throughout the last uh, four years of his reign of terror in this country. 
We can't, uh, it, January 20th can't come soon enough. I can't predict whether the man will become less reckless and, and less selfish within that time, uh, but I hope so. And some people fear that Donald Trump might refuse to leave the White House. Well, I believe that the Secret, Secret Service, he having infected, been responsible for infecting hundreds of Secret Service uh, officers with COVID-19, I'm sure that they will jump at the opportunity to remove him <laughs> at 12.01 uh, p.m. on January 20th. Right. That's when his term of office is officially over, and they will evict him if they need to. And we will look forward to seeing that. Congressman Hank Johnson, so good to catch up back with you again, my friend. Thank you for spending time with us today. And go Georgia on January 5. Go dogs. Go dogs. Okay. Thank you, uh, Bill. All right. Thanks, Congressman. Talk to you again soon. And that's it for today's podcast with Congressman Hank Johnson. But we can't leave you without encouraging to do your share to help John Ossoff and to help Reverend Raphael Warnock in Georgia win these two big Senate races on January 5. The best way to do so is go to actblue.com and contribute as generously as you can to both campaigns. That's actblue.com. Meanwhile, while you're online or listening to the podcast, uh, please subscribe to the Bill Press Pod if you haven't already done so by pulling up the Bill Press Pod on whatever platform you're using to listen to this podcast. Click on subscribe and you are in. And with that, we leave you to the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. Stay safe, stay strong. We'll see you again soon.